It is time for midday here at KRBN. A little bit cooler than yesterday. In fact, 20 to 25 degrees cooler than yesterday. Thanks for making us a part of your Thursday, the 10th day of December, wherever you may be listening. A lot to get to, so let's get things started. As always, let's hear from our own Susan Littlefield. It gives a preview of the interviews coming up today. Well, thanks, Tyler, and welcome back. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. Kicking it all off will be our angler journey update at 1219. Then at 1245, Alex will talk about Nebraska receiving a grant to expand produce availability in the SNAP program. Then wrapping everything up at 117, Bryce talks with Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners about where soybeans go once they leave the local elevator. That's a look at the midday from the farm team. All right, thank you very much, Susan. Sure appreciate that. Turning it over to sports and Jason and, well, Husker men's basketball team got a, uh, well, they didn't get the win. They lost yesterday, only their second loss of the season, but at times it uh, looked pretty good. Hey, thanks. Well, the Nebraska men's basketball team appeared to be in pretty decent shape last night, five minutes into the second half, but then things fell apart. Georgia Tech got hot from the outside, and Nebraska ended up fading down the stretch, losing that one. 75-64. They'll look to bounce back tomorrow night against Creighton. Husker women, they're back at home tonight as they take on Illinois as they begin Big Ten action. That one tips off at 7. We will bring you the game on 880 KRVN. UNK women and men's basketball teams are here in Wichita getting set to take on Newman University. Women's game at 5.30, men's game at 7.30. We will bring you those games tonight over on 93.1 The River, 106.9 FM McCarney, and you can listen in on the river app. couple of chances here for the Lopers. Pick up a couple of wins tonight if things go well. And one of the most successful high school coaches, especially over the course of the last 20 to 25 years or so in the state of Nebraska, Jeff Gross has announced he is stepping down as head coach at McCook. We'll get his thoughts as he takes a look back. All of that and much more is coming up in sports. Thank you very much, Jason. Sure appreciate that. Yeah, head coach uh, Jeff Gross for McCook, uh, the McCook football team. Uh, really always was terrific with the media. Every time I had to reach out to him uh, for pregame interviews, uh, was Johnny on the spot, gave you anything you needed, uh, starters, all that kind of good stuff. So happy to see he's going out on his own terms and happy retirement, uh, or at least stepping away, uh, Jeff Gross. Also tonight we'll have Nebraska women's basketball as they'll play against Illinois. Tip tonight here on 880 is at 7. Coverage is at uh, 645. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan and Stocks. Uh, how are they performing so far this morning? At last check, uh, they were down a little bit. Uh, the 30 industrials uh, down about 113. The NASDAQ composite up 37. The S&P down a little over 8 points. Stocks are um, going back and forth on Wall Street following more evidence that the pandemic is tightening its grip on the economy. And as investors wait to see if Congress will do anything about it. Also, a U.S. government advisory panel has convened to decide whether to endorse mass use of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine to help conquer the outbreak that has killed close to 300,000 Americans. And uh, some of that uh, Pfizer product could end up coming to Nebraska to help uh, vaccinate folks. So those are some of the stories on the burner. It is time for our Ag Weather Update as Paul Perkins is now joining us, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Well, Paul, 
Hopefully you enjoyed the warm temperatures the last couple of days because uh, this might be a thing of the past this year. <laughs> exactly. That was probably the end of it. Uh, most of us had highs yesterday, mid to upper 60s. Mm. The state high yesterday was 71 at Broken Bow and at Valentine's. So just a beautiful day because we have full sunshine and then uh, hardly any wind, too. Right. I mean, it was just a perfect, perfect day. It felt like more of a fall slash spring-like <laughs> afternoon for the most part. I mean, we were out walking around and... Are we sure we're in December right now? <laughs> exactly. So confusing. Probably one of the nicest December days you're ever going to experience was yesterday. Probably. And if you're working outside, you were probably enjoying it as much as possible. But unfortunately, snow is coming up. And listen, we are in December, so it is about that time, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, winter not too far off here. And a taste of some winter is on the way. Not going to be a big taste of winter, but we will see some cooler temperatures, a little closer to seasonal, and maybe a couple, two, three inches of snow moving our way. It also looks like things are warming up just a little bit. I know, I know, things were warmer yesterday, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, we're seeing things climb out of the 30s across the region. Exactly. Still in those 30s underneath some thicker cloud covering much of west central and western areas of Nebraska, especially along and west of a line from about Ainsworth down to Ogallala, but otherwise most of us with temperatures right now in the low to mid-40s, some upper 40s to low 50s as you head towards southeast Nebraska into central and east Kansas. Those clouds will gradually get thicker as the day goes on. Breezy conditions also on the way with temperatures today that are 20 to 25 degrees cooler than yesterday, but these temperatures we're going to have in behind this cold front today, still slightly above average for this time of year. Snow chance Chances start to move in later tonight, then increase the likely chances for tomorrow as an area of low pressure swings out of the four corners and onto the plains. Snow chances will linger into tomorrow night and Saturday. It's going to be a fairly widespread light snow event with the heaviest snow amounts over southern Nebraska to the south of the interstate. Right now expecting about two to three inches of snow along Highway 30 down to the Nebraska-Kansas border. Lighter amounts of a dusting up to two inches expected over northern Kansas as well as far northern areas of Nebraska towards the Sand Hills. We do have the latest snowfall forecast map on our Facebook page for KRVN, so you can get a visual look at that for your particular location. Mainly dry weather then returns by late Saturday into Wednesday as high pressure builds back in. Seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures in the forecast for tomorrow through Wednesday with daytime highs in the 30s to around 40. Our long-term forecast for Nebraska and Kansas, keeping those seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures for the middle part of next week, but higher chances for above warmer or warmer than normal temperatures start to return by late next week through December 23rd. It will stay once again mainly dry with below normal precipitation Tuesday through the 23rd for Nebraska and Kansas. In the regional drought monitor released today, all of Nebraska continues to be in some level of dryness, the least dry area, abnormal dryness in Thayer County, most of Nebraska in moderate to severe drought. Extreme drought continues in nearly all of the Panhandle and also over much of South Central and Southwest Nebraska, or if you're along and west of a line from Lexington to Alma, Kansas dropped a percentage point to 14% drought-free. No dryness issues right along the Oklahoma border from Ashland to the southeast corner. Most of Kansas abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought is found severe rather to extreme drought is found in much of north central to western kansas and from washington to minneapolis market impact the weather factors include rain chances in the next week for brazil and isolated rain across argentina across the southern plains here in the u.s the system will bring some chances for moderate 
Excuse me for moderate precipitation, including some snow for most locations late today through Saturday. Moderate snow is possible with another disturbance by Sunday across south areas of the southern plains. The increase in soil moisture from that moisture will benefit wheat that's not yet dormant. For Brazil's central crop areas, moderate to heavy showers will continue through the weekend, just in time for corn and soybeans now reaching the reproductive stage. Southern Brazil will be drier in the next couple of days, but waves of rain will return this weekend on into next week. Across Argentina, dryness the past several days may have caused some stress to developing corn and soybeans. Isolated showers expected in southern Argentina late today on into tomorrow. Then those will move to the north later this weekend. Additional rounds of showers may develop through next week, especially over northern Argentina, a benefit to their developing crops. But rain cover, or rain actually over south Argentina, will be more isolated and could cause some further stress as their region turns drier. So we can expect some flurries later tonight and primarily tomorrow, but uh, Saturday it doesn't look like we're going to see as much. Exactly. That system kind of wrapping up as we head towards uh, later tomorrow night into Saturday, but looks like the lion's share of that snow coming uh, morning hours to the early afternoon hours for tomorrow. Most areas two to three inches, maybe mm. nothing more than that. Yeah, I would say one to three inches. Okay. The bulk of that snow, two to three inches from about I-80 on into the Nebraska-Kansas border. And occasionally going to be windy, too, from what I've seen. I've been seen. on the breezy side out of okay. the north, about 15 to 25, but nothing too far out of hand. Luckily, this wind will, or the snow will be fairly heavy uh, since the temperatures won't be too cold so it won't okay. have too much of a problem blowing around all right uh, for a full snow forecast where can they find that at you can check that out on our krvn facebook page weather anytime krvn.com thank you very much paul most of us count the number of days until christmas 31 30 29 come on but if you're so excited that you're counting the hours i love christmas 1069 Frosty FM is for you. Central Nebraska's 24-7 Christmas station. Also heard on 93.1 HD2, KRVN.com, and the River app. With one Christmas song after another. <laughs> 1069 Frosty FM. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. Celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. We shouldn't judge somebody for having a passion. And farmers are very, very passionate about what they do, about providing for you know, the generations to come and the future of the growing population. Thanks so much for tuning in. Andy King is from Newman Grove, Nebraska, and he launched his business, King Consulting, back in March. So what King Consulting, I guess, strives to serve is the farmers of all ages and genders and I understand the struggles that a farmer endures in day-to-day, -day, but even in year-to-year. -year. And a big part of farming right now is a generational transition. And I want to reassure the older farmers that their kids that are coming back to farm will make it and will be successful in the markets that we are enduring right now. What we do is soil sampling and nutrient prescriptions, irrigation scheduling and management, financial advising, crop scouting, pesticide recommendations, so quite a long line of stuff. Andy will be graduating from college this month, and even though he's young, he says he has an advantage in technology. The main competitive advantage that I have is being young, no knock on the older generation, but they're, they don't understand the technology as well as they can't grasp it as quickly as we can. So I guess using that technology is definitely where agriculture is going. 
and I already have that grasp on that and how I can use that technology to help farmers today. And despite his young age, Andy said he launched this business for the farming industry because he recognized it's something he loves. I want to help fight for the farmer and the industry as a whole to make sure that farmers are relieved of that stress. So I got started by first finding a crop consulting job through my advisor down here at UNL, and I've loved every minute of it, and I actually started out as plant biology, got into involved in highly educated chemistry and calculus courses, and that's not me. I didn't want that. I worked for a crop scientist, and his best part of his job, he said, was not talking to people, and that's not me. So I went back to work for the crop consultant, again, fell in love with it all over again, and realized that there is a need for it and a future for myself in it. This business has been in the back of Andy's mind for three years. Andy said his top aspiration used to be getting a Ph.D. in crop and soil science, and that nearly stopped him from launching his business. I would say my biggest failure so far is three years ago, I understood that this is something that I could do for the rest of my life and something I was passionate about. And I stepped away from it because I saw the degree was worth more than what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go be have a Ph.D. in crop and soil science. And I, for some reason, was blindsided by the fact of I needed the degree to prove something to people that really don't matter. And I almost failed at that. But now that Andy has pursued his passion and launched his business, he wants King Consulting to grow like a tree. Trees don't just remain one stem. They branch out. They grow. They produce leaves. And I want that business to grow like a tree and to have branches here and there, but every branch is living and successful and carries out processes that are great for its life. You can learn more about Andy King and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, the Nebraska women's basketball team shoots for a perfect three-game homestand to open up this year when the Huskers tip off Big Ten Conference action tonight against Illinois. Huskers come in 2-0 with wins over Oral Roberts and Idaho State. Tip-off tonight is set for 7. We will bring you that game here on 880-KRVN. Well, despite an early second-half surge that actually saw Nebraska take a six-point lead and feel pretty good about themselves, It was Georgia Tech who rallied down the stretch for a 75-64 win in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Jose Alvarado did in the Huskers with 19 of his game-high 24 points in the final 10 minutes. Kobe Webster had a night to remember. He knocked down six three-pointers to score a career-high 20 points, but it wasn't enough for Nebraska. Huskers look to bounce back tomorrow night when they travel to Creighton. The architect of McCook's fabulous run in football the last two decades is stepping down. Yesterday, Jeff Gross announced his decision to step aside as head football coach McCook after 23 seasons. He spoke with KICX Radio and says they certainly had a great run. You know, that 2000 season kind of got us jump-started, but from really uh, about week three in 2001, 
until the 2009 season. You know, we won 72 regular season games in a row and, and, uh, you know, just eyelashes away. We were eyelashes away from, from, uh, four in a row and, and, uh, you know, just unbelievable memories. And Gross would guide McCook to five state championship games and two state titles. They advanced to the semifinals 11 times in his 23 years as head coach. He had an overall record of 208 and 53. He also coached 72 players who went on to play college football. And Royals catcher Salvador Perez has been named the all Major League Baseball first team catcher as Major League Baseball unveiled those selections for the second annual all MLB team this week. First and second teams were selected by a combination of voting from fans, a decorated panel of media members, broadcasters, former players, and other officials throughout the game. That is a look at sports. For more, you can find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. It is time for Midday News. Ellen Simmons has stepped in. And Ellen, how's the day been going so far? It's going good, you know. I had to make a quick trip to Curry this morning, and then I got here. So Just in time for the news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the day planned out very good. Well, what do you have for us here on this uh, 10th day of uh, December? Well, the federal government and virtually all the states, Nebraska included, have filed suit against Facebook hoping to break up what they call an illegal monopoly. Fox's Kevin Cork explains. The Federal Trade Commission and 48 attorneys general sued the social media giant, accusing the company of illegally stamping out the competition by buying smaller companies. The twin antitrust lawsuits allege Facebook has abused its power for years to protect its monopoly, particularly through its acquisition of social networking rival Instagram in 2012 and the messaging app WhatsApp two years later. The states argue Facebook's actions have hurt consumers. Facebook was quick to fire back with a statement calling the lawsuits revisionist history as the government actually cleared both of the acquisitions in question. If the prosecutors win, Facebook could be forced to give up both Instagram and WhatsApp. A Nebraska prisoner in his 60s has died at a Lincoln hospital after testing positive for the coronavirus in mid-November. Correction officials say the inmate had underlying medical conditions and the exact cause of death hasn't been confirmed. Officials did not release the inmate's identity but said he was serving time for a robbery conviction in Seward County. A grand jury will investigate the death as is normal procedure. Uh, Nebraska officials reported 781 coronavirus patients who were hospitalized in the state as of Wednesday evening, a decline from last month's record highs, but still far more than the number earlier this year. Police say a third person has died from injuries received in an explosion that leveled a house in Omaha, Nebraska. Police said Thursday in a news release that 28-year-old Alexander Toledo died Wednesday at a burn unit in Kansas City, Missouri. Toledo had been found by neighbors sitting outside the destroyed home with severe burns following the Tuesday morning blast. Toledo's grandmother, 73-year-old Teresa Toledo, and another woman, 45-year-old Angela Miller, were killed in the explosion. 72-year-old Larry Rodriguez was critically injured. Officials have not said what caused the blast. Teresa Toledo on Monday had asked a judge to order Alexander Toledo out of the home, saying she feared he would start my house on fire. Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services 
excuse me, Health and Human Services Incident Commander Angie Ling during Governor Ricketts' news conference on Wednesday called on Nebraskans to get their annual flu shot. Ling says a flu vaccination is not only helpful to oneself, but also the hospitals and clinics. Annual flu vaccination is recommended for everyone six months of age and older and is an effective way to decrease flu illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. A flu vaccination this season can also help reduce the burden on the healthcare systems as they continue to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and will help save medical resources for care of COVID-19 patients. Wearing a mask, social distancing, and hand hygiene will also help protect you from respiratory illness, flu, and COVID-19. However, the best way to prevent flu illness is getting your annual flu vaccine. Well, you can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. Nebraska Extension recently received a $1 million three-year grant to expand access to fresh produce for SNAP recipients across the state. And today we're going to learn a little bit more about this grant. And we're joined by Vanessa Willinga. She's an Extension educator with Nebraska Extension. And Vanessa, I think it's safe to say before we get into the specifics of this grant, it's important that we understand the Double Up Food Bucks program. So if you would... What is the Double Up Food Bucks program? Yeah, it is a SNAP incentive program. That's kind of the generic title for this type of program where Double Up Food Bucks is like the brand name. And um, it's a program that was started back in 2009 by the Fair Food Network. And essentially, it's a buy one, get one. So whenever a SNAP recipient uses their federal benefits inside of one of our participating locations to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables, it triggers a a double up food bucks transaction, which means that whatever dollar amount they spent on fresh fruits and vegetables, we will give them the same amount of double up food bucks in that transaction. So um, let's say they spent $18.15, we would give them $18 worth of double up food bucks, and that's up to $20 a day. So they could, you know, they could return to each of our sites um, every single day and spend 20 and get 20 and then use those double up food bucks benefits later to purchase more fresh fruits and vegetables. Awesome. So it was announced a couple of weeks ago that the Nebraska Community Foundation, um, in partnership with Nebraska Extension, had received this $1 million grant. And for me, it's kind of hard to envision how a $1 million grant is going to impact the people of Nebraska specifically. So what will you guys be doing with this grant? So the grant requirement is that 51% of our budget is spent on incentives. So the actual dollars that we will be giving to the SNAP recipients to then turn around and purchase more fresh fruits and vegetables. So that right there is an economic impact of $511,000 that we put into our budget to go out to SNAP recipients across the state. So currently we're, we have the program in eight sites and that's in Lincoln and Omaha but we will not spend $511,000 in three years um, with just our current location. So the whole point of this program is to expand a little bit more into our urban areas to make sure we're hitting um, the neighborhoods of need, those that want it and need it. Um, But more specifically, what we called, um, we're focusing on rural food access points. So what are some locations across the state that have both a farmer's market and a locally owned grocery store where we can infuse those federal dollars and those those donations from our health systems into those communities to support local producers and to support local business, as well as putting healthy food on the table of, um, of Nebraskans as well. 
Yeah, and I think you make a great point. This is impacting consumers who need it, but it's also really going to help local producers and local businesses, isn't it? Absolutely. And it couldn't come at a more perfect time. We've actually, we've applied for this grant in the past. So while that was definitely, you know, a disappointment, um, we were able to continue gaining experience with um, the private funding that we did have. And now we have it at a time when a lot of our producers struggled because of COVID to get their food out to market. And we're having a lot more challenges around keeping local businesses open because people have moved to, you know, trying to purchase everything online. And that that hits a lot of local communities hard, especially when small businesses may not have the capacity to have great online marketplaces. So I'm really happy that um, Extension and the Community Foundation were able to partner in this way. And it also... I mean, it's going to be so great to have them as a partner between the Nebraska Extension Network of staff across the state in all of our counties and then the Nebraska Community Foundation. I think we're going to have a lot of really great partnerships and stakeholder groups. Being able to have a, a reason for people to come together maybe in different ways than they had before to partner on a really great project. Absolutely. Well, Vanessa, as we round out this conversation for people who are listening and might be interested in learning more, uh, what's the best way to do that? You can go to doubleupnebraska.org, and there's a couple different ways that you can download different information, whether it's a flyer to try to have a conversation about, hey, you know, I was thinking that this would be a really great program to bring to our community, and you want to get some conversations started at the local level. You can download some flyers, some, some information on what actually retailers need to do to get to the point where they can become a Double Up retailer, because, of course, they have to be able to accept SNAP. And again, that's not always easy for smaller retailers. So please do visit our website. Um, you can also find our current locations there, which is helpful for those that are in Lincoln and Omaha or maybe just visiting um, that have that SNAP EBT benefit. I'm in conversation with probably four or five other communities right now where we're already um, working on expansion plans. So we, over the next three years, we hope to roll this out in at a minimum 25 other communities. Um, but of course, the sky's the limit. Like I said, we, we're just trying to spend that, that $500,000 over the next three years. So um, however many communities we need to get to that, uh, that's our goal. All right. Well, Vanessa, that did spark one more question that I have. For retailers or maybe community members who are looking for more information, what advice can you give on that? I think one thing that I always like to emphasize is that this, this program is not for a particular type of retailer or or requires a certain amount of technology. So the program is being implemented in different ways across our different sites, depending on their staff capacity and their technology capacity. So we the the incentive technology that we use with the paper check is we're able to use that in a, in very low tech situations. Um, but we're also looking into ways to use um, more higher technology stuff. So if a store does have capacity to kind of embed a lot of the code into their registers, that that processing and that transaction can go a little more smoothly. So we, I want to encourage anyone who thinks that this might be a good opportunity for their community to reach out to Extension and to the Community Foundation. Um, I just... I wouldn't want anyone to think, well, this just isn't for us. All right. Great information. Thanks so much, Vanessa. That again is Vanessa Willinga. She is a Nebraska Extension educator broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Shapiro. With the business report for Thursday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are wobbling on Wall Street following more evidence that the pandemic is tightening its grip on the economy and as investors wait to see if Congress will do anything about it. Checking the market indicators, the Dow's 30 industrials down 42, the Nasdaq up 63, and the S&P 500 down a fraction. Treasury yields were holding relatively steady following the worse-than-expected report on U.S. layoffs. It's the latest reminder that the pandemic is doing more damage to the economy in the near term, even if prospects are rising that a COVID-19 vaccine will get the economy healthy in the longer term. A U.S. advisory panel has convened to decide whether to endorse mass use of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine to help conquer the outbreak that has killed close to 300,000 Americans. Today's meeting of outside advisors to the Food and Drug Administration represented the next-to-last hurdle before the expected start of the biggest vaccination campaign in U.S. history. Depending on how fast the FDA signs off on the panel's recommendation, shots could begin within days. The number of people applying for unemployment aid jumped last week to 853,000, the most since September, evidence that some companies are cutting more jobs as new virus cases spiral higher. The Labor Department saying today that the number of applications increased from 716,000 the previous week. Consumer prices edged up two-tenths of a percent in November as a rise in S and a variety of other items offset a drop in food costs. The Labor Department says the gain in the Consumer Price Index followed an unchanged reading in October and matched the two-tenths percent September advance. Still, the increase remained far below the six-tenths percent increases seen in June and July as the country was reopening following the spring virus shutdown. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Where soybeans in particular go after they leave the grain elevator here at the local level? And we typically classify a couple of the destinations as first domestic crush and then exports. So let's break this down a little bit. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And what you run into is as the, the elevators take the bushels, you got really a couple different types of elevators. You've got one who are set up to send stuff out on rail, and you've got ones that are set up to send out stuff on truck. And traditionally, the ones that send stuff out on truck, they're going to go ahead and send those over to our local soybean processing facilities spread out across the state. And those are going to be turned into soybean oil and soybean meal. And we really appreciate the livestock industry. It's so important for the demand on the soybean meal side. That takes about two Point one eight billion bushels, a lot of bushels of beans. And that's national numbers, not state numbers. But then on the rail side, uh, most of those go out export if they're on the rail side, but there are times, depending on where you're at, that if the bid is strong enough, those could, instead of going export, could actually go back to the crush side too. So where do we stand, particularly in terms of exports? That's a number that you're following every week as the USDA reports what uh, is inspected to go out on those ships and head to a foreign country. Where do we stand right now with those levels? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, last Thursday, so those numbers come out every Thursday morning, and on Thursday, what we're looking at, we, we keep an eye on the percentages, and to believe this or not, Bryce, we're up 162% compared to last year. Now let's put that in perspective. That would be on the corn side, okay? And uh, we're expecting that to be up 49%. Now over on the bean side, since we've been talking about that, 
That's up 101%. Um, and, and what USDA is expecting, and this comes out of the WASDE report, we're expecting that to be up about 31%. So we've got some big numbers on the books. But something to think about for October, the October's numbers came in on, on, on the export side. As a nation, we shipped out 420 million bushels of soybeans. That's a new all-time record for any month. So there was not only a lot of sales on the books, but we have actually made a lot of shipments also, which is good. This is where the numbers of the U.S. Department of Agriculture come in as, as I ask you this next question about how you're tracking, how much supply is truly out there for the domestic crunch, but also on the export. So how do you use the USDA numbers? No, there's a WASDE report coming up this week, but also factor that in with what you're seeing with guys on the ground. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So we, we take a look at the WASDE number, and, and we know that currently WASDE out of the November report said there was 190 million bushels that were going to be left over those ending stocks, that total supply versus total demand. And how we use that number is we convert that over to a stocks to use percentage, which had to be 4.2% stocks to use. How we arrive at that price is we take those ending stocks divided by our total demand. And that number we use to be able to determine what we think is fair value on the future side. But we can glean more information from USDA and actually step over some of the reports coming out of NAS. And we actually step over the quarterly stocks reports that come out every quarter. What that helps us in do is that helps us look at what amount of supply is there at the state level okay at those particular points in time and then that can give us a good feel what we think basis is going to do so that's a couple different ways we use that information one on the WASD to give us the future side the other one on the NAS quarterly stocks number to help us with basis decisions Jeff went on to say that he expects more soybeans to be planted in 2021 coming from the prevented plant acres from last year for more of the market conversation with Jeff Peterson, the president of Heartland Farm Partners, you can visit our website, ruralradio.com. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. As we take a look at the grain side of today's trade action, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Normally, John Payne joins a senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Was not able to get a hold of John this afternoon, but we'll take a look at what's been talked about so far today on this trade. No surprise, everybody's been talking about the Wansdy report and what some called a knee-jerk reaction, which saw some negative numbers within the territory. Now, USDA today did release its December crop production and world agricultural supply and demand estimates, otherwise known as the WASDE report. USDA lowered the soybean ending stocks to 175 million bushels. That's a 15 million bushel decline from last month's report, which is completely attributable to the increase in domestic crush. DTN's lead analyst Todd Haltman said the new crop U.S. ending stocks estimates were neutral for corn, soybeans, and wheat, while the world ending stocks estimates were neutral for corn and soybeans and slightly bullish for the wheat. So first with the corn, the December corn numbers offered no surprise because there was no domestic changes from the November report. Globally, USDA raised Chinese imports by 3.5 million metric tons and lowered overall global ending stocks for the 2021 crop. USDA did maintain the average corn yield at 175.8 bushels to the acre. Harvested acres came in at 82.5 million acres and corn production for 2021 is pegged at 14.507 billion bushels. 
Now for the soybeans. Our production for 2021 marketing year was left unchanged at 4.17 billion bushels and the nation's average yield of 50.7 bushels to the acre. All demand categories except for the crush were unchanged as the forecast for domestic crush was increased by 15 million bushels on strong crush, crush margins and some record early seasons. It realized the domestic ending stock forecast of 175 million bushels would be the lowest we've seen since, believe it or not, 2013-14 in their marketing year. Now looking at what's been happening on the wheat side of the complex. Wheat production 2021 in the U.S. remained pegged at 1.83 billion bushels with an average yield of 49.7. That's unchanged from the November report. U.S. ending stocks for 2021 wheat crop were trimmed 15 million bushels to 862 million bushels on the lower side of pre-report estimates. USDA tightened supply estimates by 5 million bushels and exports increased by 10 million bushels. The average U.S. farm gave price was left unchanged for November at $4.70 per bushel. And world wheat ending stocks for 2021 were dropped beyond pre-report expectations to uh, 316.5 million metric tons. Well, that is a look to what we saw in the WASDE report of today. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Thank you very much, Susan. Sure appreciate it. As always, uh, midday podcasts can be available, sponsored by Devenny Motors. Those can be found on any Android or iTunes device or at krvn.com.